Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio, to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio, Peter Kuznick. He is a professor of history at American University and author of Beyond the Laboratory, Scientists as Political Activists in 1930s America. He's co-author with Akira Kimura of Rethinking the Atomic Bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japanese and American Perspectives. He's co-author with Yuki Tanaka of Nuclear Power and Hiroshima, The Truth Behind the Peaceful Use of Nuclear Power, and co-editor with James Gilbert of Rethinking Cold War Culture. In 1995, he founded American University's Nuclear Studies Institute, which he directs. In 2003, Kuznick organized a group of scholars, writers, artists, clergy, and activists to protest the Smithsonian's celebratory display of the Enola Gay. Kuznick and filmmaker Oliver Stone co-authored the book and the 12-part Showtime documentary film series, The Untold History of the United States. Peter Kuznick, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio. Hi, David. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. I think you were on just when the untold history of the United States was coming out. And now I'm very pleased to say you'll be speaking and showing an episode of that series at a conference being planned for September at World Beyond War, which I work with. And people can go to worldbeyondwar.org and see all the wonderful speakers planned for this conference in Washington, D.C. in September, including Peter Kuznick and a screening of an episode of The Untold History of the United States. Uh, So we are very much looking forward to that. Well, David, since we spoke of when it the documentary and the book were first appearing. The book has now been a bestseller on three continents. We also produced The Concise Untold History of the United States. The original book was 800 pages, and we did The Concise Untold History of the United States based on the documentary scripts. We've got volume one of four volumes of our Young Readers book coming out for middle school students. That's being translated into languages all over the world. The book is actually out in, I think, 18 languages now, and uh, we've got a graphic novel on the way. So Oliver and I have been traveling across the United States and many other parts of the world in order to support this project and to do as much educating as we can. One of our big themes has always been the question of the atomic bombings in 1945. When we go to campuses around the country, we show that episode more often than any other episode. And I'm glad to say, because of my efforts and your efforts and my colleagues' efforts, the latest CBS News poll for the first time shows that a, a plurality of Americans actually say the atomic bombings in 1945 were a mistake, were not justified. The latest CBS News poll has 44% of Americans disapproving the atomic bombing and 43% supporting it. That's never happened before. And among younger Americans, the percentage is even higher in disapproval. So we're finally making some headway on this most fundamental of American myths. And do you credit that to the uh, the proliferation of your work and the work of other historians and scholars putting the facts out there and getting them into television documentaries and so forth? Uh, because my impression of President Obama's uh, relatively recent uh, trip to Hiroshima, which made big news headlines, was that the news coverage was not actually all that helpful or fact-based. 
the news coverage for the most part was problematic. And Obama's speech was even more problematic. Obama says during that speech, and I was in Hiroshima for that, NHK, Japan's public broadcaster, brought me over to do some television shows, and uh, I did an enormous number of interviews around this topic, mostly with Japanese media, Chinese media, Russian media, German, British, very rarely with U.S. media. And uh, what Obama, you know, we have to give him credit. It's good that he went to Hiroshima. It's good that after finally, after 71 years, an American president had the courage to go to Hiroshima. By doing so, he focused the world's attention on nuclear issues, which have largely fallen off the radar, so it's very good that he did that. It's good that when he was there in his speech, he mentioned the Korean Baksha, the Korean victims of the atomic bombing, who often get overlooked. Uh, the Korean government actually asked him to stop at the Korean Memorial on his walk from the Peace Museum to the Cenotaph, where he laid the wreath of flowers and made his remarks. He didn't do that, but at least he mentioned the Korean victims. It's good that he mentioned that uh, Hiroshima uh, uh, broadcast the fact it demonstrated that mankind possessed the means to destroy itself. That's an important thing that's overlooked, that Harry Truman, on at least three separate occasions uh, before the bomb was dropped, said that this could be the beginning of the end, that he understood that he was beginning a process that could end all life on the planet, yet he proceeded to use the bomb, despite the fact that there was no military reason for doing so and no moral justification for doing so. But we'll get back to that. But So there was a lot of positives to Obama's going there. But if we look at the actual content of what he said and the things that he did while he was there, the reality is that on balance, Obama had a chance to achieve greatness with this speech. He had a chance to finally uh, deserve the Nobel Peace Prize that he won, largely because of his speech in Prague in 2009, which he called for nuclear abolition. And he had a chance to finally deserve it. But uh, unfortunately, from my perspective, Obama snatched potential uh, mediocrity, snatch mediocrity from the jaws of greatness. Me, he had a chance to really do something stupendous in Hiroshima, and he chose not to do that. Let me let uh, me play a devil's advocate a little bit, Peter Kuznick. Is it possible that, uh, as is my view, uh, he may have actually snatched uh, defeat, not just mediocrity, but he may have done more harm than good. Uh, yeah, what I was going to say is that I think he really did do more harm than good. Uh, okay. He did more harm in concretely in the present, and he also did more harm in terms of our understanding of the history. What he says there, he says, um, we must, he says, uh, we must, ha we have a shared responsibility to look directly into the eye of history. He also says, uh, we can tell our children a different story. And what is the story he ends up telling? He says that, uh, the World War reached its brutal end in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That is the fundamental myth of the Pacific War, that the atomic bombs were necessary to force Japanese surrender, 
that by dropping the atomic bombs, the United States avoided an invasion of a Japanese homeland that the United States had invaded. A half million American troops would have been killed in the invasion, Truman says, and more and millions of Japanese would have been killed. Thereby, effectively, the United States atomic bombing was humane because it saved not only a half million American lives, but it saved millions of Japanese lives. Therefore, it's justifiable. This is, is not only entirely wrong-headed, but it lies at the heart of the whole notion of American exceptionalism, which has been the driving force behind so many of the reckless policies that the United States has embraced around the world. So, and, yeah. and, but Obama, before he went there, made clear that he was not going to do two things. One, he was not going to apologize. The second, he was not going to relitigate or discuss the decision to drop the bomb. And, and this was part of a pattern that we've seen with Obama. To me, a very corrosive pattern. Uh, when he went to Vietnam prior to visiting Japan on this trip, they announced beforehand that the United States was not going to discuss the history of the Vietnam War. The upshot of his visit to Vietnam was that the United States was now going to sell arms to Vietnam. So after our execrable, our miserable history with Vietnam, our invasion of Vietnam, and Robert McNamara told my students that he accepts that 3.8 million Vietnamese died in that war. 3.8 million. Not counting Laotians and... Uh, and not counting Cambodians, Laotians, Brits, Aussies. You know, it's, it, many people have been, many of your listeners have been to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. Right. It's, it's two black slabs with the names of 58,280 Americans who died in the war. It's very powerful. And the message is that the tragedy of Vietnam is that 558,280 Americans died. That wall is 492 feet long. If it contained the names of the 3.8 million Vietnamese, the more than a million Cambodians, Laotians, everybody who died in that war, that wall would be more than eight miles long. That would be a fitting and appropriate memorial to the Vietnam, to the U.S. invasion of Vietnam, to the Vietnam War. Indeed. But again, our treatment of history is so myopic, so narrow-minded, that we don't begin to even understand that. So Obama goes to Vietnam and doesn't discuss the war there. Then he goes to Hiroshima, and he reinforces the myths. Right? So he goes there and he says that the war came to its brutal end. You know, and he makes, but if you look at that speech and you dissect that speech, it was a lie from the very first sentence. In that first sentence, he says that death fell from the sky and the world was changed. In the second sentence, he says, we come to ponder a terrible force unleashed in a not-so-distant past. Death didn't fall from the sky. A terrible force was not unleashed. The United States dropped an atomic bomb on those people. Where does he take that responsibility? Where does he put it in an active voice rather than a passive voice? And the speech is riddled with those kinds of, of lies, basically. Yeah, the uh, way, he's, 
The yeah. way that I see a problem with that speech as someone who wants to get rid of the entire institution of war uh, is that later in that speech, he excuses himself, he denies all responsibility for anyone who makes war with the pretense that war is permanent and inevitable and has been with us since the rising of the first man, as he puts it, uh, and that preparing for war and militarism is is defensive against evil. And as long as there's going to be evil, we must prepare for more wars and build more weapons. And he wishes we could have a world where you didn't have to build more nuclear weapons, but we don't. Uh, and that that lie that you know that war has been around as long as the species and, and is just natural and inevitable right. seems it's to me to human nature. It's not resp- it's not his responsibility. It's not U.S. responsibility. It's not the responsibility of other malign forces around the world. It's somehow deeply rooted in our nature. And, right. and the fact that he went to Vietnam and did that, and he, and he says there, um, you know, he calls again for nuclear abolition in the abstract. And he says, we may not realize this goal in my lifetime. Why not in his lifetime? Why not in his presidency? There's no reason why this can't be done, except that he doesn't have the will, the courage, the vision to do that. You know, the, the atomic bomb survivors, the Hibaksha, have dedicated their lives to one principle, and that's to make sure that no Hiroshima's and Nagasaki's ever occur again. And their goal is that they want to see nuclear weapons eliminated in their lifetime. Obama's a young man. This should have happened in his lifetime. This should have happened during his presidency. But in going there, not only, as you were suggesting, does he not advance the cause of nuclear abolition, he actually makes nuclear war more fightable. Yeah. He doesn't, he could, not only did he not announce unilateral cuts in America's nuclear arsenal, but he didn't announce a rollback in the U.S. trillion-dollar modernization program that's going to occur over the next 30 years, or in the nuclear policies that are going to persist for the next 70 years. Uh, and so Obama actually by modernizing every single weapon in the American nuclear arsenal is making nuclear weapons more usable. He's making nuclear war more likely. And that's the specific uh, upshot uh, of of his trip. In addition to the fact that he was going there to support uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, one of the most dangerous leaders on the planet today, who has been militarizing Japan, uh, ripped up the Japanese uh, peace constitution, Article 9, one of the good things to come out of World War II. He's abrogated that. He's increasing Japanese arms sales. He's imposed security laws that are over, opposed by the overwhelming majority of the Japanese people. He's doubling down on the U.S. base in Okinawa. And what happened as a result of Obama's trip and embrace of Abe? Abe's popularity jumped 7% in advance of the elections coming up this summer. And Obama has, again, reinforced his Asia pivot, his containment policy of China as a result. So his speech, while the Japanese people welcomed his visit to Hiroshima, 98% according to one poll, and the survivors welcomed his visit also, the survivors who I met with and spoke with were very disappointed with what he said, what he didn't say, 
and what he did when he was there. The way the entire thing was stagecraft and carefully manipulated, which I can go into if you like, the way the whole thing was staged was to make sure that Obama did not actually deal with the survivors or uh, in any way uh, understand what they were trying to tell him. Peter, the New York Times reported recently that Obama had eliminated fewer nuclear weapons than any previous president since there have been nuclear weapons. Uh, and so, yeah. and yet he's, by many people's uh, view, given better speeches than any other recent president. And I did a photo op with the victims and went to the location, uh, which you, you call courageous and most people call courageous. But I, I, I wonder whether we really should be praising him uh, when the, the rhetoric and the, uh, and the photo ops seem to millions of people to excuse the, the actions, which are not just mediocre, but you know, worse, than, worse than his predecessors. Uh, I mean, shouldn't we Yeah, be... his track record, it's so sad. I mean, that's why I say this is a man who's snatched mediocrity from the jaws of greatness. I mean, many of us really did want to believe that he was going to be a different kind of president, especially coming after George W. Bush, right? This simple-minded warmonger who, you know, with this Christian sense of certainty, goes and invades country after country in the most flagrant uh, and, and, and mendacious way. And then we have Obama, who's intelligent, articulate, seems to embrace a certain vision. We wanted to believe that he was an, uh, a, a, an opponent of war. And, and, and he's, he's been a real disappointment. As Ari Fleischer, Bush's former press spokesman, assured the Bush people, said, don't worry, Obama's, fourth, Obama's second term is really the fourth term of George W. Bush. You know, and, and, and in so many ways, I mean, in many ways it's not exactly, but in too many ways it's close to being that. And, and, but again, you, you look at his, what, what he did there. The first thing he did is he went to the Atomic Bomb Museum. I've been taking my students there for more than 20 years now. I began taking students on a study abroad trip to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, my class at American University, back in 1995. We've done that every summer since. And your listeners can join us because it's open to everybody who'd like to attend. And it's an amazing experience. And my students, when they go to Hiroshima, are so moved, as I was. The first time I went to Hiroshima in 1995, I was just, you know, I really couldn't find the words to express it. Such a powerful experience for an American to be there. And my students react the same way. But Obama's speech was written in advance. Obama, who's very articulate, uh, could have easily talked about what it meant to him personally to be there. He went to the Atomic Bomb Museum first. It's under reconstruction, so they assembled artifacts for him to see. And nowhere does he even talk about what that meant to him. And he goes and lays the wreath, and he doesn't talk about his own feelings about being in Hiroshima at all. And then uh, he meets, with, he shakes hands with two Hibakusha. The first one is Tsuboi-san. Tsuboi is a very nice fellow, 91 years old, from Hiroshima, who announced beforehand, as the head of Nihonadankyo in Hiroshima, that he doesn't expect or want Obama to apologize. That was not the view of most members of Nihonadankyo, or the survivors in general. 
Um, so, so Obama goes and shakes hands with him, and it's perfunctory. And then he goes over and he shakes hands with Maury's son. Uh, and Maury is an outlier. He's persona non grata with the other Hibakusha in Hiroshima. He spent his life apologizing for the American POWs who were killed in the bombing or subsequently killed by the survivors of the atomic bombing. That's his big mission in life. Uh, and, and it doesn't talk about the Japanese victims, the American responsibility. He's the, America's greatest friend. He was invited by the United States, not by the city of Hiroshima. And so in fact, then, then he breaks down and Obama embraces him, and the visuals are great. But if anybody knows the backstory, knows that there were two other Hibaksha who were also invited by the city of Hiroshima, Tanaka-san and Iwasa-san. They are much more militant, much more outspoken, demanding not only apologies, but that, the, that words speak louder than actions. And they wanted to see Obama actually announce concrete steps toward nuclear abolition while he was there in Hiroshima. They were placed in the third row, in a position where, as Tanaka-san said to me, uh, it was impossible for them to even lean in and talk to Obama. So even that was very carefully orchestrated in order to create a certain kind of visual, but not to actually give Obama the experience of listening to the Hibakusha or learning from them. One of the things that many of us demanded was that, uh, that Obama speak with all the Hibakusha who wanted to speak to him. He first went to Iwakuni Air Base, to the American base there, and met with the American troops there and with the members of the Japanese Self-Defense Forces. Spent more time at Iwakuni shaking the hands of the American soldiers than he did in Hiroshima meeting with the survivors or learning from that. And so, so, you know, for me, this was very, very frustrating. Frustrating in the sense that there is so much that Americans need to learn about the atomic bombing. How, how much do Americans know about the attitude of America's top military leaders? How many Americans know that the United States had eight five-star officers in 1945, seven of whom are on record saying that they thought the atomic bombs were either militarily unnecessary, morally reprehensible, or both? Right? Seven of the eighth have said that. And the eighth, General Marshall, says that uh, the Soviet invasion by itself might well have levered the Japanese into surrender. So even though he hasn't uh, said that the atomic bombs were explicitly unnecessary, he's challenged the official mythology that the bombs ended the war. Peter, why not having told Japan it could keep its emperor alone have leveraged Japan? That could have done it, and, and, and General MacArthur who certainly no pacifist, right, wanted to use atomic bombs in Korea, MacArthur says the Japanese would have surrendered in May, months earlier, if we had told them they could keep the bomb and they would have been happy to surrender. Keep, keep the emperor. I think the schedule's a little too, too optimistic, but I think June they would have surrendered, and almost certainly in July, if we had told them that they could keep the emperor, that we had this incredible weapon, and that the Soviets were about to come into the war. That's what they dreaded. And Truman knew that that's what they dreaded. And he, when he got the assurance from Stalin at Potsdam that the Soviets were coming to the war, he writes in his diary that night, Stalin will be in the Jap War by August 15th. Finny Japs when that occurs. He writes home to his wife, Bess, the next day, uh, the Soviets are coming in, we'll end the war a year sooner now 
think of the boys who won't be killed. He refers to the intercepted July 18th cable as, quote, the telegram from the Jap emperor asking for peace. Truman knew the bombs weren't necessary, as did everybody around him. Yet they wanted to use the bomb, and so they went ahead and did so, in part because they wanted to send a message to the Soviet Union, that if you messed with America's plans in Europe or Asia, this is what you're going to get, and even worse. And that was exactly how the Soviet leaders interpreted it. And we, we knew that they would, and American scientists warned American leaders that's exactly how the Soviets were going to interpret it. Yeah. We've got, Peter, just a few minutes left, and I, you've spoken so well in the past and written about the lack of U.S. awareness of past crimes and death counts and, you know, nobody knowing how many were killed in Hiroshima or Vietnam or Iraq or Philippines in comparison with how Germans, for example, know the yeah. past crimes in Germany. There's a, there's a graphic going around on the Internet right now in the wake of this mass killing in Orlando that says, you know, more. Americans have been killed in the United States by guns since 1968 than Americans have died in all U.S. wars ever, and it, and it gives numbers. And, and I think missing from that is how many non-Americans have died in U.S. wars, which, you know, just since World War II is... 20, 30 million by some counts, not counting, you know, the many millions that could have been saved by putting that, that money to good use instead of to war. Uh, what is it going to take for, for, I mean, if Obama had, had apologized, he would have just been denounced as a traitor. He needed to tell the untold history, but, you know, yeah. to apologize in this, you know, environment, he would have just gotten himself labeled a traitor. What's it going to take for Americans to care and learn the facts you know what is it you and i've been working on that question for our lifetimes uh, it, do, do you think the trend's going to continue you said for the first time ever there's a poll with a plurality on, on, on knowing the truth about hiroshima but, but, but americans know so little history that it's profoundly troubling I, I did an anonymous survey with college students. These are all A students in high school. And I asked them how many Americans died in World War II, anonymous survey. The median answer I got was 90,000. I asked them how many Soviets died in World War II. The median answer I got was 100,000, which means that they not only have absolutely no understanding of World War II, they have no understanding of the Cold War, they have no idea what's going on in Ukraine. So they were only 300,000 off when it came to the number of Americans who died, but they were 27 million off when it came to the number of Soviets who died in World War II. Yeah. We're up against such a profound ignorance. In the National Report Card issued in 2011, American high school seniors came in last, weakest, not in their understanding of math and science, and were always bemoaning their ignorance in math and science, but they came in last in their understanding of U.S. history. Yeah, 11% were found to be proficient in U.S. history. And, and so it, uh, we're out there, we're trying to educate them about the past, we're trying to deal with current issues, but in order to make sense out of these current issues, you've got to put them in some kind of context. And Obama has been an impediment in that regard. When he welcomed U.S. troops home from, at Fort Bragg, and the troops came home from Iraq, and he spoke to them, and he says, you know what makes us great, what makes Americans different? We don't do these things 
for territory or for resources. We do it because it's right. That's what makes us Americans. And as long as Americans keep buying into that myth of American exceptionalism, American superiority, American difference, American benevolence, American altruism, then we're doomed. We're sunk. Well, nobody is exposing those myths better than you, Peter Kuznick. I wish we had hours and hours to go on. We're over time, but uh, I look forward to seeing you and encourage people to sign up for the conference at worldbeyondwar.org. And thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you, too, David. Take care. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.